passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. A-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. I am John Pollock, along with Mr. Internet Connection himself, Wei Ting. Hello, hello. Can you hear me? Can, I am I still feel like around? you're right next to me. I mean, if there was a hologram, I mean, that would just complete this experience I'm having. You sound crystal clear, as they would say, which is a step above clear. Well, um, I, I'm not sure why that is, because... Uh... I haven't received any service since yet. Um, we last spoke, so uh, maybe it's just gonna hold up. And uh, well, I well won't don't move, much. don't don't do anything to adjust your body uh, movement. Don't do anything. Don't sneeze. Don't cough. It's perfect. I'll try this my best. The, we are in a direct line from one another with this connection. It's wonderful. It's always great to hear your voice. Uh, no matter what the provider. Well, thank you. Thanks. Did you have a great Wednesday? I did. Yeah. Really great Wednesday. Yes. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. It was a good day. I went to, I went to the library. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just yeah. To, to work, to research. What? You checking out a I did book? So, uh, I did some work. I'm, I'm, Purpose, as I've said before, my goal this year is to read – I'm aiming for a number of tw 25 books. So what I've found is that I force myself every day. I just carve out time to just read a book. And I was very impressed with myself because book number three on the year was 445 pages, and I knocked that out in 10 days. I was very happy with that. Oh, wow. So What's the so, book? It was this book about the the lead up to the Iraq War. Um, yes, interesting. Okay, yeah, it was really. Did you like it? Book, I I liked it quite a lot. It's the uh, the Bob Woodward book, Plan of Attack. Any insight? I feel like I'm turning into Oprah. I can do my my book club review here for everybody's uh, enjoyment. It's it's not a new book. It's uh, this was came out in 2004, which I found it kind of interesting because it's before like. It was certainly a, a questionable move at the time based on, like, the intelligence they had, but would become much more of, um, of a bigger issue in years to come. This is coming out at a time when it's before the election that year uh, that George Bush ultimately uh, was reelected, and 
at a time when Iraq, it was scrutinized, but not to the degree that it would be. So it's kind of interesting to go back uh, and read a book as opposed to one now that you have more of a uh, of a more fleshed out analysis of that entire time period and, and the lead up to uh, going into Iraq in 2003. All right, cool. Um, what's next for you? I'm now I'm now back to a wrestling book. I'm reading the Andre the Giant book that comes out uh, in two months. I got an advanced copy out of it uh, of it, and this book's awesome. This book is really really good. It's one of the most researched books maybe I have ever read in in wrestling. Like the degree to which uh, Pat LeBrod and Bertrand Hebert have gone to right down to like. Any minuscule fact you can imagine attributed to Andre the Giant, right down to what day he worked this match and how it turns out, well, that was on a Tuesday this year, but it was actually on a Wednesday. Like they have, it's crazy. It's crazy the research uh, for this book. Like in the first 10 pages, you will probably learn more about Andre the Giant than has ever been out there. Sounds great. Cool. So uh, I'm sure we will have. Uh, pat on uh when the book comes out but that's what i'm reading now so uh what a what a transition from iraq to andre the giant so this i mean all within fits all within your world it does I, i do have to read this one so um anyway i will i will keep you updated are you reading any books yeah i mean i i've i've really just kind of been chop chopping away at this uh book about uh, independent music from the year 2000. So, uh, let's talk about the news and all this other shit. Are we really? Going you don't want to talk, talk about, about independent music? I mean, we're we're coming out. It's it's over 20 years now since Napster came out. I thought the music industry was dead. It's thriving. Is it? Are you kidding? They are. I believe I heard a stat that it's going to like sur- surpass. Like their most like like Spotify has just completely changed the the industry. That it's uh, it's it's thriving at the moment. Well, that's great to hear. Cool. Okay. I don't know if it's thriving for all the artists. I think it's like the upper percentage of mainstream artists. I don't know how much of that uh, that digital money is uh, reaching uh, lower acts, but um, as a whole, there's a lot of people. Money is being exchanged for music, so that's I guess that's that's good considering the the graveyard that was being reserved for the industry when we were in high school. Yes, yes. Okay, we're gonna move on. Sorry, I just I wasn't prepared. Okay, that's fine. Let us know when you fit when you finish your book about how independent music was doing in in the year two thousand. But how? is an independent podcast doing in the year 2020? Well, we're going to find out, folks, because on Thursday morning, tickets go on sale for post-wrestling live in Tampa. Wei Ting and I will be doing a special show on the day of WrestleMania. Live in Tampa, we are going to be just minutes away from Raymond James Stadium, which is the home of WrestleMania 36. We are going to be at the Art Institute of Tampa's Atrium, all of the information is at postwrestling.com slash live. Tickets will be going on sale Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern time. $5 off for all 
members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. You should already have a code that you can use to buy your tickets. We have VIP tickets, which include a VIP lunch with the two of us, a Post Wrestling Live in Tampa event t-shirt, parking space, which is good for the entire day, including WrestleMania, entry to the Q&A as well, access to the uh, Southern Drink Bar, and then a meet and greet with Way and I that will immediately follow uh, the Q&A. Then we have... Uh, our other level of tickets, which include access to the Q&A, the drink bar, and the meet and greet. So uh, tickets are available probably by the time you are listening to this, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I always love doing these shows. Postwrestling.com slash live is where you can get all of that information. Yes, and we will be reminding all of you about this uh, live show. So go check that out uh, on the website as we speak. Now, as we move on to... Some news and notes before we get into Dynamite. Uh, we can start off with Raw from Monday night. Uh, ratings were delayed this week with the President's Day holiday. But Raw was, well, there were two ways of looking at Raw. The very good was the fact this was not only their highest number of the year. This was their highest number since September the 30th. 2,437,000 viewers, uh, up 4% from last week. And... That was very strong. They were up uh, among men 12 to 34. It was up 25%. Um, That was their biggest increase from last week among their demographics. The bad to this number was we talked about on Monday way that this was a 90-minute show spread out over three hours. And I believe you just gave up at one point discussing the third hour, that this third hour was awful. You were in agreement with approximately one in four people because the drop-off was enormous in this third hour, they lost from the first to the third hour. They lost 22% in total viewers, uh, which was also 22% in the main demo. Uh, among adults 25 to 54, the drop was 24%, uh, which was the same percentage drop of women 18 to 49. Uh, this this third hour just torpedoed uh, the average of this number. Not that surprising to me. Um it's always the trend, but this was um, uh, certainly an enhanced drop than than usual. And I, I mean, when when they announced that six man tag, it just felt to me like this is a time filler main event, and this is what you're hoping people that have watched two hours of Raw are going to stick around for another sixty minutes for. And it's. Um, I mean, it's the same old story, but it was just that much more pronounced this week. The the tune out in that third hour, nothing was announced that was keeping these people. Do you see them changing anything about next week's show? Um, I mean, I don't think it's going to be indicative of every week being to this degree, and I don't even know necessarily what your strategy should be for that third hour. This many years into this, I don't feel you should be putting your hottest thing into that third hour. I think that you should be either starting the show with it or it's one of the crossover hours in the first two. Um, I think that if you want to avoid this, you have to put, I would say something that has a relative value to the show is what you can close with, but I wouldn't be putting my, my most important segment in the, in that third hour. But I I think you're going to get weeks like this where you're just not going to have something that you can hold off for the third hour. That's going to be enticing to many people and they're going to have their fill after 90 minutes or two hours of this show. Yeah. I I don't think there's a a great answer 
um, to that third hour. But it was it was very noteworthy who they uh, placed in that third hour, and it did it did not hold people. Second week of the XFL was uh, down. Everybody assumed it was going to be down. Um, so ABC ran a game on Saturday afternoon as they had the previous week in week one. Uh, they were down down 35% in total viewers, 39% in the main demo. On Fox, they were down 29% from the prior week, 41% in the demo. And overall, if you're looking at all four games week to week, they were down 34%. And even if you factor out FS1, which is you know much less viewership than ESPN, which was the cable game last week, you're looking at a decrease of 27%. Are these in line way with what should have been expected for week two, that week one was going to have the hype and we were going to see relatively high declines in the second week? And can they... Can they offset the the drop for the rest of the season? Can we expect games to stick around this level? Um, I I think the drop is expected always. You know, there's a lot of curiosity for the first week, and then people in the second week determine whether or not it's worth sticking around for. And I think inevitably you're going to get eh, a lot of people who feel like the answer might be not necessarily. Um, will it continue dropping? I don't know. It's hard to say. I think if you if you saw dramatic drops, I think there would be cause for concern. I think if they can level off at these levels, I mean, in this day and age, still topping 2 million viewers in the afternoon, early evening on network television, it's these are fine numbers, I think, to have. For FS1, to be doing 1.3 million viewers, uh, for FS1, like, that's a... Perfectly acceptable number. So I think if they can stay in this level, um, this is not a dramatic uh, drop. I don't think anyone expected them to stay at the level of week one. So, yeah, we'll see where they are several weeks from now. But the drops were there that everyone expected. Uh, Earlier this week, uh, Dave Meltzer was the first one to report that Davey Boy Smith uh, will be part of this year's WWE Hall of Fame induction class and... One that I, I think has always been a name that has been uh, floated out there, and this is the year they're going to put him in. Were you surprised at all at at this year being the one where they chose to put in Davy Boy? Not really. Um, actually, he's a name that I'm surprised isn't already in. But uh, what what sort of holdup was there? I think there's the natural one that when someone is deceased, I don't think they always want to necessarily shine a light on on that i think that's if if davy boy smith was alive i think he would have been in years and years ago um are you surprised at all it's it's him going in solo not with um tom billington or do you think that this was always going to be the way he would be inducted just as a solo act yeah yeah um i feel like davy boy probably carved out i think i would say a bigger name for himself after the tag team um i think everybody fondly remembers you know the wembley with brett and then really his run afterwards as more so of a solo act than anything he did even as a tag team to uh, a modern generation at least so that part doesn't really surprise me as well yeah i i, I would imagine that harry's going to induct him that would seem like the the most natural mm-hmm so, um, yeah, and 
Yeah, so we're getting a, an interesting class this year. Davy Boy Smith Jr., Jushin Liger, the Bella Twins, Batista, and the NWO so far. Any other names, you think? Uh, Wrestling Inc. has uh, thrown out JBL's name um, that they have heard is going in as well. So, I mean, it was only a matter of when JBL would go in. So it looks like this year could be that year. All right, cool. Maybe he'll induct himself. Uh, Why? I don't know. It just seems like a, a gimmick you could do. Hmm. He inducts himself. Or you could just have Ron Simmons do it. Yeah, that'll probably be it. What is your level of um, interest of at least watching the Hall of Fame at some point? Do you even have that? Um, do you think you'll go out of your way or maybe just pick a speech here or there based on what you hear? I'll listen to the speeches. You know, I think they're they're always pretty interesting. I mean, uh, it's a week where they're competing with a lot of other things. So I, I think we're going to a show probably that day. So I don't think we'll be able to watch it live. But I'm always at least curious about some of the speeches. Uh, New Japan started off their first of four straight nights at uh, Cork and Hall today, which was uh, Tiger Hattori's retirement uh, ceremony today. I have not seen the ceremony yet, but it seemed to be kind of a similar template they took from the Jushin Thunder Liger retirement speech. They had uh, chaos come out. Um, Tanahashi was there. Rocky Romero was there. Shibata, Liger. Uh, They had some tape messages as well from Antonio Noki and Jinichiro Tenaru, And then they brought out Ricky Choshu, Keiji Muto, and uh, Hiroshi Hase, as well as a great Kabuki. So they had a number of guests on on hand, and they flung Tiger Hattori in the air, just like they did with Liger. Uh, I guess he pinned Kazuchika Okada, so he was able to uh, join a very prestigious, exclusive club of people, men that have pinned Kazuchika Okada as well, on his way out. That sounds great. Do you think they'll do the same with Nakanishi? Man, do you think they can throw Manabu Nakanishi up in the air and catch him? Maybe like 30 people together. Mm. After that guy's uh, neck problems, I don't know if that would be the wisest choice. But I, I will say this. I think that you know New Japan does put some thought and and time into these retirement ceremonies. They they feel very special. And I imagine that the same will be the case for Manabu Nakanishi next week when they do his ceremony. Mm-hmm. What else do we have here? Uh, Brock Lesnar is advertised for the next two weeks on Raw in Winnipeg and then Brooklyn. So, man, this guy's going to be – this is going to be a very busy uh, couple of days for him from Winnipeg to Saudi Arabia and then I guess maybe fly home for a day or two and then he's off to Brooklyn. We'll be getting paid a, a lot of money for it. So um, This is uh, this is Brock's busy season. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and going, to, uh, and going to Winnipeg on, on Monday, which is uh, – there's a close to home. If you want to see a great video, uh, a number of years ago, he was a guest on behalf of the Winnipeg Jets, and he went into the locker room and he committed the ultimate faux pas because he stepped on their logo on the on the rug in the locker room, and that was a big no no. Yeah, wow, and that's why they haven't won a Stanley Cup since. That's that was the curse. It was Brock Lesnar's curse of 2017. Uh, another story. Um, from this past week is that last week, Tito Ortiz uh, was doing some training at the WWE Performance Center. At the age of 45, Tito Ortiz training at the WWE Performance Center. Uh, do you think that this will amount to anything? Um, I think it'll be a pretty good bargaining chip for him next time his uh, whatever deal comes up. But also, I mean, come on, like, 
guy can only do MMA for so long at, at, at whatever level. I mean, you can argue that maybe he's, he's already past that point yet. He continues to find big fights for himself. Um, and everybody's making these transitions successfully to professional wrestling. So um, he's a big enough name that I could see. Mm, I don't see a long run within the WWE for him. I just don't see him fitting into any of their properties thus far. So is he even a big enough name mainstream? I think to like, you know, make that big of a difference. I don't really think so. Right now, can you can you envision a role that WWE would be interested in doing business with Tito Ortiz that they could somehow benefit from using him anywhere? I don't know Saudi Arabia. You know, would would he mean anything there? Um, if he was brought in, I mean, listen, like maybe he can be a great promo guy. You know, you pair him off with somebody as a mouthpiece or as, as something else. Maybe you could do something with him. Um, he's actually the example of a guy that is not very good off the top of his head, like speaking. He actually, I think would really benefit from a scripted promo environment because his delivery can be good, but him, like there are highlight reels of his, uh, of some of his post-fight speeches and such and interviews that I think a scripted Tito Ortiz, he has the delivery and someone's doing his promo for him, but I'm still looking at what is what is to be had with Tito Ortiz at his age. I mean, this guy has had uh, man, his, his body has been through the ringer in his uh, fighting career. This guy has been fighting for over 20 years. Um, I mean, he has had unbelievable amounts uh, of damage to, to his neck, to like all over. Um, so, yeah, it will be interesting to see if this actually gets into anything and if. Um, you know, the time for Tito to have tested the waters in WWE would have been probably 15 years ago. Yeah. And AEW way, by the time people are listening to this, they're launching their own podcast. Oh, is that right? Tony Schiavone and Aubrey Edwards will be hosting a show on Thursdays, which means we're going to get the podcast wars. It's going to be Corey Graves with After the Bell versus AEW with Tony Schiavone and Aubrey Edwards. Well, we'll track iTunes downloads, um, comments, five-star reviews. Engagement, yeah. Apple reviews. I mean, this is going to be um, the the next chapter of of the war, the podcast wars. I can't wait for Mm -hmm. this. All of your news items, you can go check out at postwrestling.com. And Braden Braden Harrington and Davey Portman have an edition of Up Next going through tonight's edition of NXT, which you can go download and – now we can go into Dynamite, their first trip. Actually, into let's a... go into our T-shirt giveaway. Oh, yes. Let's Every give away Wednesday, a T-shirt. Every Wednesday here at uh, on Rewind to Dynamite, we give away one T-shirt to a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, our Patreon, which you can go to uh, visit at patreon.com slash postwrestling. And the items from our T-shirt store, store.postwrestling.com. John, will you do the honors, please? Okay, we are going down into the list. All members of the Post Wrestling Cafe eligible to win this item. And our winner is... Congratulations to Jassim Saeed. Jassim Saeed from Tucson, Arizona. Congratulations to you. Thank you very much for being a patron of Post Wrestling. I will be sending you a message uh, so you can get pick a shirt from store.postwrestling.com. Fantastic. All right. 
Dynamite from the State Farm Arena in Atlanta. We open up the show, and we've got Pyro, and there's Justin Roberts to introduce all of the teams on the floor, giving everybody, um, I, I guess, uh, memories of the reverse battle royal. Remember um, that? Yes, yes, of course. Who, who, who could forget? They all had to start on the floor. Uh, so we had, for the Battle Royal, the number one contenders Battle Royal, the Young Bucks, Private Party, Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy, The Butcher and the Blade, Jack Evans and Angelico, John Silver and Alex Reynolds, who were hanging out on the floor, Scorpio Sky and Frankie Kazarian, Shima and T-Hawk, the best friends, and Santana and Ortiz, who were also on the floor at the beginning while everybody was uh, going at it here. Uh, Jack Evans did a spot where he just came off the top and took out, uh, actually, it was... Was it Kazarian and Sky that were the ones that took everyone out with the high cross? And then Evans tried coming off the top, was caught by everybody and dumped out. And from there, they explained that each member of the team had to be eliminated. So it was added eliminations, then just one guy's out and the team is gone. We had the Dark Order uh, spokesman appear. This was right after. A silly string gone wrong on T-Hawk, and T-Hawk was eliminated. So Silver and Reynolds put their masks on, they enter, and then Dark Order gets onto the microphone, and their spokesman asks where Christopher Daniels is, and says the Exalted One is near, and the distraction leads to Sky and Kazarian being tossed out by Silver and Reynolds, followed by um, Sky diving onto Stu Grayson over the guardrail, and they fought away. Bucks then eliminated Reynolds and Silver. And throughout the rest of this, uh, we don't have to go through every elimination here, but um, they built up to a stare down between the Butcher and Luchasaurus that got a really great reaction. And this was after the Butcher was able to stop this flurry of kicks from Nick Jackson and eliminate him. So giving the Butcher something here. And Ortiz and Santana come in. They eliminated a private party after Ortiz ran Cassidy into Quen, and then they lifted Cassidy, throwing him out. Evans got eliminated by Jungle Boy. Ortiz and Santana then knocked Jungle Boy off the apron, and it came down to the Butcher, Matt Jackson, Trent Beretta, and then Santana and Ortiz as the only team teammates that were still there. Matt and Trent did a hug for a huge pop. The Bunny goes to flirt with Orange Cassidy, who earlier in the match appeared out of nowhere outside of the ring from underneath and caught Trent on his shoulders and saved him. So people love that. Um, Trent was eventually knocked out. Matt then did a spear through the ropes to the butcher, eliminating the butcher, but keeping himself alive because it wasn't over the top rope. And then Matt was left with Ortiz and Santana. Sammy Guevara trips up Matt. He's hit with a street sweeper, but hangs on, comes back, super kicks Ortiz off the apron. Guevara does the... Shelton Benjamin springboard into a super kick by Matt Jackson. Place goes nuts, and then Santana gets super kicked, and he's out. Place exploded as Matt Jackson wins at 17 minutes and 58 seconds. Yeah, I thought this was really good. You know, I haven't loved all AEW Battle Royals over the past year. Some of like, uh, the early ones, like the Casino Battle Royals, I felt were often a little too chaotic or disorganized, but I didn't think this had any of those issues at all. There was clear focus in the ring at all times. Good amount of spotlight on new guys like Luchasaurus or uh, The Butcher or you know, the best friends. They also took the time to set up that Dark Order stuff. And then I would say a really good build to the finish for Matt Jackson, stacking the odds against him 
to overcome uh, proud uh, and powerful. Um, you know, we all knew it would be the Bucks that would win, but I think the match here helped further the momentum with them and keep the spotlight on them while building stories for the other teams. So I thought it was a really great way to start the show off. I would say within AEW, this was their best battle royal since that over over the budget battle royal that they did at All In. If you want to consider that uh, AEW in their chronology, I thought there were so many really creative ideas worked throughout this. I think they uh, set up some interesting stories that uh, come out of this as well. Uh, audience was just uh, man, they went nuts for Matt Jackson. Like they had several big moments uh throughout this and it moved really quick and it was interesting to contrast because nxt also opened up with an 18 minute match with jordan devlin and leo rush so it was kind of uh similar you know match lengths to kick things off but i i really enjoyed this battle royal quite a bit cody and brandy are shown arriving backstage with pharaoh and then we had shanna versus chris statlander with Britt baker on commentary and Jim Ross asked for someone to explain this space galaxy thing to me in reference to Chris Statlander. Baker says she's more into oral health, the oral health department. She's not really into the space galaxy stuff. So then Excalibur tries to give a serious answer, as serious as he could, about how Chris Statlander, her ship crashed in Area 51. And as Area 51 comes out of his mouth... JR just shuts him down, says, just stop, just stop it. I'm sorry I asked. <laughs> it's super um, strange, I think, to to accept if you're not already somebody who's familiar with Chris Statlander. And I think JR, like, rightfully so. I mean, I don't I don't know what the intent was here. I think maybe, maybe it, it, it's, you know, but JR, like, I think gave a natural reaction that a lot of the new people watching would have felt the same way. And it's not to say that the alien thing doesn't, won't work, but it certainly calls for some sort of introduction, some sort of vignette to at least, like, I don't know, catch people up to speed. Because out of the blue, an alien is is weird. I think you have to give, um, I, I have no problem with this reaction because I think the greater amount of people would have the exact same thing. Like, tell us that she had some traumatic incident where she believes she is actually a alien. Like, something that we are connected to reality here. Because this is how Jim Ross would respond to someone explaining that her ship crashed and she arrived here from Area 51. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Chris I mean, does a bunch it, of... It's, it's as ridiculous as a guy who thinks he's a dinosaur. Or a guy who... Or a kid who thinks he's from the jungle. Um, so do you have to explain all of those as well? People seem to accept those. I think with the case of Luchasaurus and, uh, Jungle Boy, I think like there is that, um, disconnect at times that it's, um, they don't really delve into their origin story of, is this guy a, a real dinosaur and explaining that? Because I think if you did, you'd get this exact same reaction from Jim Ross. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't see AEW really doing it. It just seems to be kind of like the way they introduce people um, straight out of the Indies, whatever gimmick that they have. The thing is, it's like that on screen live in, in, in attendance, like peep, the people there are familiar with them and they love these gimmicks and they treat them like they're over regardless of the introduction. So, um, 
I guess they'll just keep doing it like this as long as they get great reactions. Well, that's ultimately what you have to go by is that are these characters working or or not? Like in the case of Luchasaurus, I, I can't make any compelling argument to change anything. Like this guy is one of the most uh, – among the most popular acts in in the company. And it's the same with Chris Statlander, who, you know, uh, just by touching people's noses is incredibly over. So um, it's almost like one of those things where you just have to forget about why and just enjoy what it is. They cut to the announcers and Tony's got his own uh, coffee cup with his name written on it. And they've misspelt the name to make it authentic. It's got his face on the Starbucks logo. Yes, I think to avoid being a Starbucks uh, coffee cup. Well, yeah. Also, just they should be they should joke. be selling Tony Schiavone coffee at at all the events. They might be selling the cup or the shirt. I'm sure, like if he's got a pro wrestling tea store, this would probably be up there. You could have a whole like a coffee section of your merchandise stand. You could get either Matt Jackson's coffee or the Tony Schiavone coffee. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's got a coffee gimmick these days. It's it's popular. Shanna and Chris go back and forth touching each other's noses, and then Excalibur calls it a pie-facing when JR takes exception to it being always called pie-facing. Why can't it be cake-facing? I like cake. Why can't it be cake? (laughs) He was in a, I I don't know, he was in a, a, a certain mindset here. Shanna then spiked her with a DDT, and the full Nelson was countered with the Big Bang Theory, and Chris Statlander got the victory. I personally felt the match was okay. To me, it never reached, I think, a a level that uh, stood out for me on the show. I I actually felt it was probably the weakest show on the card. Not to say it was bad at all, um, but the rest of the show I just thought was really high quality. And this was good, too, but not at the level that I think it needed to be in order to like really emphasize Statlander as a, an up and coming contender. Um, I thought Shanna impressed me more actually. Um, but Statlander though, it, it almost doesn't matter because this crowd already sees her as a star just from her touching people's noses. So there's definitely the interest there, but the match to me didn't heighten that interest. Yeah. I, I think there certainly is like this one more so that, than most, like a big disconnect between um, in particular, Jim Ross calling these matches and I I can't give you a good reason of like, how can I envision Jim Ross calling this where they're both touching each other's noses? Like, how is he going to call that? Yeah, no, it's not really his, his style of wrestling. Um, it's very different from, I think you, what you would see in the main event with Cody. Um, it's, it's, it's a bit of a stretch for him, but I mean, that's where Excalibur comes in, uh, to do most of the heavy lifting um, and JR is just more so there to kind of, I don't know, I guess talk, fit, fit in moments of like, um, groundedness talking about how ridiculous this is sometimes, but also to talk about the actual wrestling itself. They recap Nyla Rose's title win from last week, and then they come back from break and the fans are counting down. So either they were counting down from the commercial break or Drew McIntyre had showed up in Atlanta. I wasn't sure. Yeah. The Claymore countdown. Nyla comes out to speak with Shivani and calls the fans bees that are all buzzing. She should be on all the posters and the highest paid in the locker room. When she gets hungry, she breaks bitches. She broke Riho 
and she represents unbridled power. All you bees can buzz around. I'm the queen bee in this hive, and I'm going to be a one-time champion because no one will be able to beat a beast like me. And this led to Chris Statlander walking out to challenge her and Big Swole, who got in her face, and then her and Statlander kind of had a a mini standoff. Uh, But the Nyla Rose promo, and what did you think of the... Uh, the direction to be going of the uh, the queen bee in this hive. I I thought the promo. I thought she sounded really good. I thought she she was full of fire, full of confidence. Uh, I thought she sounded great. I mean, maybe the 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 literal like the bee stuff is is uh, perhaps I don't know a it, bit. It strange. felt like one of those WWE promos where they're so obviously trying to get something over. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a little um, maybe kind of PG when the rest of her promo was very non-PG. I think her saying that, you know, her being hungry and being hungry makes her break bitches. That sounded amazing. That was a great. Good good line. That to me is like what I'd love to see on a T-shirt that um, somebody would wear. Break but bitches. She delivered those lines really well. The Queen Bee stuff, perhaps a, a bit of a kind of a. I don't know, maybe maybe a bit more questionable because it does make you think of like, you know, so many other WWE style promos, but maybe it was you know, it's it's her thing now. You know, she's she it's her nickname, the Queen Bee of this hive or um maybe Is is it Madison Rain the Queen Bee? That's another company. Oh, so it's a different like monarchy. There are many hives in this world. Okay. I mean, the real Queen Bee is Beyoncé. Right. Okay. So maybe Maybe Beyonce is going to get broken. Mm. Yeah. Could be. Um, yeah, it seems like Nyla Rose and Statlander would be your direction coming out of this. But uh, I thought maybe we'd get an announcement about that for the pay-per-view. But maybe they are not going to put that on the pay-per-view. I think it's a little too late to, you know, uh, rush, I would say, that sort of feud. I mean, this is, I think, a program that needs at least another cycle in order to really get there. If not... If you don't have to necessarily do it for double or nothing, you know, you could do it for um, a TV, but it yeah, needs a, a long, maze a long time. It needs a bit more time to cook. I think Statlander is just kind of being reintroduced. Same with Nyla, who's been away for a long time. But, you know, I have to say a segment like this, a promo like this from Nyla, I mean, unfortunately, it just wasn't possible with Riho as champion. You weren't going to get an interview like this. You weren't going to get... You know, your baby face is chasing after somebody like Riho with this amount of fire if Riho was still champion. So the deck is now cleared for all the baby faces and it paves the way for a Chris Statlander and a Big Swole to really kind of like come up into that that spotlight. Uh, Swole, I mean, they, like she's almost like a regular on, on Dark, but um, haven't, they haven't really made that much of an effort to introduce her to um, uh, a Dynamite audience yet. So I'm I'm really looking for the next several weeks to be her big introduction. They recap Jeff Cobb's introduction from last week. And for John Moxley versus Jeff Cobb, they brought in Taz to sit in with Jim Ross. So we had um, the match begin and they were putting over Cobb's uh, credentials, including going to the 2004 Olympics, not mentioning his, um, that there is a freestyle wrestling match from that year's Olympics that exists between Jeff Cobb and Yoel Romero. Why would they? 
I'm just saying, like, what a what an interesting stat that this guy wrestled Yoel Romero. That's pretty cool. Yeah. The Inner Circle came out. They've got tickets. And they waited to ring the bell to start the match until the fans had had ended the song for Jericho. I thought this was uh, maybe the most impressive uh, sing-along since the cruise. Yeah, more and more fans seem to know the song. And I like that this week they didn't really try to force it with the cutaways. It, it, it made it feel more organic. It sounded like a lot of people were singing along. It's going to be nuts at the pay-per-view because uh, like, it's building up for that entrance that that entire arena is going to be screaming this. Yeah. So uh, I, I think it's cool. Like it's, um, it's, it's just like a, a totally different kind of um, entrance for a wrestler where they're literally singing the lyrics to his song as it, as it ends. So it's something cool. That was probably just, it was, it was totally organic and they've, uh, the other crowds have just seized upon it and, and run with it. Cobb started in control. He knocked Moxley into the guardrail, tore off the tape on his ribs Eventually, Moxley caught his leg to attack the knee, wrapped it around the post, and then Cobb tosses Moxley in the ring and goes for the cover, but then lifts him up at the count of two. On the floor, he catches Moxley doing an axe handle and suplexes him. They get into this big striking war, and Cobb goes for a superplex, and upon landing, Moxley hooks the leg with the cradle and covers Jeff Cobb with the idea like he just caught him quickly. And the inner circle immediately run into the ring and jump John Moxley. Uh, before we get into everything in, in the post match, how did Jeff Cobb come across uh, for you in this performance? I thought he looked really good. You know, this was a match I think uh, mainly framed to make him look like a, a, a dominant, unbeatable monster, and I thought they were successful. Uh, we were certainly curious about how they would book the finish for this, but you know, since last last time we did the show. Uh, word came out that Cobb wasn't a full-time member of AEW, but just somebody passing through. And as a result, I think that made this finish um, feel like the right move. You know, if Cobb isn't sticking around, I mean, why would you have him beat John Moxley? So um, it it was the right call. I mean, as a match, I, I, I wouldn't say this was like that memorable of a match, but I mean, it didn't really need to be. It really was just kind of another step for John Moxley before he got to Chris Jericho. And I thought they were successful in doing that. So when, when Cody did his uh, conference call the other day, he had stated that Jeff Cobb's got a few dates with them and, you know, certainly indicated like they would, they would like to get Jeff Cobb, but you know, Jeff Cobb may want to do other things as, as well. What is, what is left to do with, with, with Jeff Cobb in this scenario right now? Like let, let's, let's imagine that Jeff Cobb, does not want to sign a contract right now. He's got several more dates. Uh, what is there to do with Jeff Cobb? Well, it seems like coming out of this, there's uh, at least some association that they might have with him and Darby Allen. Uh, maybe a potential of the several tag team matches leading mm-hmm. into Revolution. Um, and then it seems like, th- yeah, coming out of this, it seems like we'll probably get a multi-man tag next week, and you would certainly assume Cobb being part of that. So. Inner Circle is beating down Moxley. Dustin Rhodes runs out, but again, he's outnumbered, so he's beaten down. The lights go out, and Darby Allen shows up, and this place was pretty hot for Darby Allen. He skates down the ramp and then gets into the ring. He attacks with the skateboard. Jake Hager runs at him with the knee, and he uses the skateboard to block the knee. I thought that was so clever. It was cool, yeah. 
Dustin then takes care of Jake Hager, taking him to the floor. Darby goes after Guevara and attacks him with the board and then hits Cobb with it, leading to a paradigm shift from Moxley. And it's left with Moxley in the ring alone with Jericho. They start fighting and Jericho bails out of there. And as we go to break, Darby's got his signs that read, Sammy, in 10 days in Chicago, February 29th at Revolution, you're finished. The inner circle is finished. Mox will take the title, but I will take much more. Your voice, your livelihood. At Revolution, I promise I will hit you up. Love the cue cards. That was great. Uh, really good. Darby, Darby was fantastic uh, in this segment. He came off like the, to me of all the names out here, he felt like the biggest star at the end of this segment. Well, yeah, he was making a big return after several weeks off. And it, it tells you, I think how, how beneficial taking a couple weeks off of TV can be for your character. If you're somebody who is already over and, and uh, miss it made his return feel like a big deal. So I would say a really good segment. I love the continued association between Moxley and Allen stylistically in terms of personality. I think they're a great combination together. So I look forward to take team matches between the two uh, with the two. I mean, um, I thought, you know, Mox looked really strong out of this. So it was a successful segment overall. They went nuts for Allen's comeback. Uh, I also enjoyed Allen's subtle selling of his neck to remind us about the injury. So help both matches leading into revolution. Yeah. So I could see next week them doing, even if it's a tag with Dustin and Darby against, you could do Cobb and Hager. You could do, uh, you could do any mixture of them. You could get Guevara in there or you could keep Guevara and Darby apart till the pay-per-view, but uh, you could do something next week and in uh, something coming out of uh, this whole post-match attack. But this came off really well for Darby Allen, I thought. So, uh, good segment there. Then it was the tag title match with Kenny Omega and Hangman Page against Pentagon Jr. and Ray Phoenix. Uh, this was great. At the beginning, they showed highlights of the Lucha Brothers' uh, two wins over Hangman and Omega going back to December 18th. And they announced a 60-minute time limit. And this was taking place at 10 after 9. What if this had gone the time limit way? Oh, man. Then um... No cage match, and we'd get cut off because the... Uh, uh, the big game show that Excalibur was promoting all night would have had to be bumped. Hot ones, hot ones. The yeah. game show, yes. You ever watch Hot Ones? No. It's Am great. I missing out. Yeah, you are. It's a show where like celebrities go on to eat hot sauces of various intensities. Oh, I know Hot Ones. Okay, right, right. Yeah. Well, they were promoting it a lot on this show. It tells you what they see of you know the value of putting a show like that coming out of AEW and having AEW try to send its audience into a show they have expectations for. Mm -hmm. So early on Pentagon and Phoenix are in the ring and the announcers are explaining that they've, they've got a 10 count and Bryce is counting and then he just stops counting. And Excalibur is explaining that this is the longest 10 seconds of their life. And JR just chuckles at this. Um, Pentagon and Phoenix, they're just doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the crowd loves it. So, again, like, it's one of those things where, I mean, if the crowd cheers for it, do you really have the right to kind of, like, complain about it? It's it's tough. It's in a position where, as the announcers, they're trying to call this as, like, in the 
the rule set that, you know, they're calling the match as they're trained to call a match. And they're and they, they've kind of got a cover for these guys that are not going to if they're going to be on a different page. It just that's how it comes across at times that it's this somewhat disconnect. I think they're trying to drag the show more into, you know, like a realistic space where um feels like the wrestlers are just kind of. I don't know, being very creative and very, being very loose with it. I think ultimately that push and pull is going to create a nice little compromise where guys like Penta and Phoenix will become better uh, or at least like slightly more still creative, but like within the boundaries of, you know, um, realistic professional wrestling. Omega is selling his left knee. That became a big focus. They also mentioned that next week after... AEW, they're going to have a countdown to Revolution airing on TNT. So that's potentially could hold on to a lot of viewers to push the pay-per-view. I think that's a really smart idea to follow Dynamite. Yeah, it'll likely be a lot of the Road 2 segment, you know, put together. Um, Great, you know, um, more eyeballs on those video packages is a very good thing. Yeah. Um, Then we got into some of the insanity in this match. Phoenix... Did the, uh, got popped up into midair and then came with a cutter to Page while Pentagon ran at Omega with a destroyer. Crowd's going nuts here. Phoenix uh, scaled the top rope to kick Omega down onto the apron. And then from there, Phoenix did a step up on the rope, sending Omega to the floor with a Hurricane Rana, immediately followed by Hangman with a moonsault to the floor. Page tags Omega, and the announcers are calling into question if Omega's ready because he's been injured, and should he be tagged in right now? And Page does a pop-up powerbomb. Omega lands a V-trigger onto Pentagon, but then the buckshot lariat misses Phoenix, and Page once again nails Omega with the buckshot. Page is sent to the floor. There's the Tornillo dive onto Page, Penta driver, and massive near fall all these people thought it was over it was the traditional ending sequence with phoenix's dive and he kicks out then pentagon goes to the package pile driver it's turned into a snapdragon phoenix comes off the top and he's drilled with a knee followed by the tiger driver 98 phoenix kicks out of that and this place is going through the roof blind tag is made by page phoenix does his uh Tiger faint kick, spin out of the ropes, misses with a spinning head kick, and takes the combination. Buckshot Lariat, V-Trigger, and Page pins him, while Omega just collapses from exhaustion. And, man, did this match just... Uh, the, the the ending, like, I would say six to seven minutes were just out of this world. It was a really great match. It was a match that I, I think exceeded most pay-per-view matches that you were getting on free TV. It was fantastic. My match Look at night. this and the the tag match we got at Takeover on on Sunday, like just insane. The level of matches you're you're getting on such a routine basis, like those are two tag matches that are there would be years those would be ranking high in match of the year voting, and I imagine these two matches will be forgotten by next month. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I also enjoyed the continued moments of miscommunication between Page and Omega. You know, they're they're a team that. I mean, it's a great team that I think everybody is is enjoying right now, but you know the split is coming at any second, and they continue to like sow those seeds so that, you know, at some point it'll happen, you just don't really know when. Yeah, and I think it's a great lesson for WWE in these coming weeks that we've talked about, that you have some matches that you have to get through to get to your desired destination, but you can... if. if 
the level of quality is at a level people will suspend disbelief. Everybody, I think, at a point here thought Omega and Page might lose the titles here. Like that's how intense this got by the end of things. The Young Bucks then walk down. They're checking on Omega while Paige just looks on. Omega's caught in the middle between them. And then Paige just leaves, chugs a beer, and Omega ends up leaving with the Bucks. And they will have the tag title match at Revolution on February 29th, which should be an outstanding match. Mm-hmm. Dana Massey then announced their new action figure deal. And they had several scenes of different performers having their action figure revealed to them for the first time. We had uh, we had the Bucks, we had Omega, Brandy and Cody, and my favorite being Chris Jericho, who you knew it was just killing him inside to not, like, bury this. Hmm. He, had, he had to be, oh, this looks so cool. This is great. And you just wanted to hear Jericho just be his character and just uh, throw this thing out the, out the window. But... Um, I don't know. I'm not an action figure connoisseur, but these looked really good. They look great. I mean, yeah. um, especially like I really like seeing the reactions of the wrestlers getting their own toys. To me, that's always like a real. Th- this was so much better than a commercial. Just seeing their what felt like genuine, like seeing these for the first time, which I imagine they were. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, These are like things that um, I, I'm surprised WWE doesn't really take advantage of more often because I think these are like real moments of accomplishment for a professional wrestler when they get their first action figure not to say like for some of these guys it's their first they've all had action figures with the except i don't know if kenny has but either way it's like seeing uh you know someone's reaction to holding an action figure of themselves is always like a really cool bit of video and uh you know as you mentioned like a great way to sell these toys not only do they look great but like I think you there, there's the added, I would say, story to this, you know, where the first line of AEW action figures feels like it's a it's a it's a step for the company. You know, um, it, it, it you know, the first video game, I think, will be a big deal. Um, and this was great. You know, it's it, it, as a fan who saw this company like developed out, out of nothing. Um, it's a really cool thing. Are Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins going to do an episode on these figures? I believe they actually tweeted stuff about this. So, I mean, they're free to, they talk about like new Japan wrestling, pro wrestling toys. Like they'll talk about anything. It seems like next week, we've got the 30 man iron match between Kenny Omega and pack, as well as the best friends versus the butcher and the blade stemming from the battle Royal earlier. And we're going to get a weigh in between Chris Jericho and John Moxley. Cool. Main event time, steel cage match, Wardlow versus Cody. Cody came out with Brandy and with Arn Anderson. And the match began, and early on, Wardlow, he took this big kick to the face, and he doesn't even flinch. He just stands there. Um, in terms of getting this guy over in, like, this kind of monster role, what, what did you think of uh, Wardlow's performance? Well, a, a lot of it came down to that whipping where... He had one, like he had what the ninth whip out of ten, or eighth whip, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that whip was really important because it had to sound really loud. It had to be the hardest one of them all in order to generate the heat for this particular match. And luckily, it did sound the hardest of them all. It sounded insane. Got the biggest reaction of any of them. 
and they replayed the shit out of it in this like uh uh, uh video package leading up to the match uh and i i mean great use of, of that footage I, I i also want to mention how like cody walking out looked almost emotional here as he was looking around the cage and looking around the building here in atlanta and then tony like provided the perfect context talking about how his father and and rick flair wrestled in the cage match in atlanta years ago so i don't know if cody was necessarily thinking about that particular moment but as a scene setter um it was like the perfect commentary for how Cody was looking as he was entering the ring. It's it's one of the um, attributes of Cody that has come through so much is just this guy for these big matches, big segments, like he can walk out and just the look that he conveys, like that, that transfers. It, it feels real that this is something big. This is something important, and therefore the viewer makes it, it feels it's important. It's the same thing with the action figures. You know, if 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 you're telling me that something is important to the performer, I'm going to think it's important too. And you know, just Cody simply walking out here, looking like this was going to be a big big match in his life. Uh, same with Wardlow. You know, like it got me hyped before this bell even rung. So the match really escalated when Cody is run into the cage and then his face is rubbed against the cage and we've got Cody just bleeding from the the forehead. And man, can this dude bleed. Yeah, the blonde hair, of course, makes it work so well, too. Um, You know, I would say unlike the, um, what is it, Jericho match, this was far more controlled uh, and, you know, just looked good. Is this the most blood we've seen on AEW TV? On TV, because um, that was always Tony Khan's thing about when asked about like the hardcore matches. That's only going to be on pay per view. That will not be on TV. And I think this is unless there's uh, an omission that's not coming to mind right now. This seems to be certainly the most blood we have seen in, in a match. It was, pro- it was probably up there, but I wouldn't say it was obscene. You know, I thought this kind of was perfectly in line with like what you would expect from a. Classic professional wrestling match. I, at no point did I feel concern. I I mean, it was really the perfect amount of blood, I think, to add drama. We just needed some guts as well. Yes, blood and guts. Cody comes back. He hits a gourd buster and the Cody cutter. Right as Excalibur is plugging Hot Ones, the game show, coming up. He said and Cody then- was looking for one last dab, which is what they call um, the last... Um, like the last chicken wing in Hot Ones. Excalibur is the best pitch man for this company. He's very good. He's on top of all this stuff. Yep. Excalibur uh, then was able to officially name the F-10 when Wardlow threw Cody off his shoulders and did multiple spins. Cool. We got the, F- yeah. we got the F-10. Mm-hmm. Cody then gets sent into the door. The door opens, and they explain the fact this is not escape the cage. We have a winner and a loser, and Arn Anderson is staring there at Cody, and MJF yells for Arn to slam the door on Cody just like you did his daddy, and Arn's mm. thinking about it. He takes the door, and instead he cracks MJF in the face with the door, and the place went nuts for that spot. Uh, we have Cody eventually take Wardlow off his feet after three clotheslines. Wardlow comes back with a swanton, which is a senton here. MJF then passes Wardlow the diamond ring. Cody stops him with a low blow, and he takes the ring. 
MJF is climbing up the side of the cage and Brandy stops him with chair shots as Arn Anderson then sends MJF over the guardrail. Crossroads is delivered to Wardlow and Wardlow kicks out of the crossroads. So that was his big, um, I guess, uh, Purick victory here. Kicks out. Cody then stares at the top of the cage, climbs up, and he lands a moonsault that they... They got every replay imaginable onto this broadcast, and that was the win for Cody. He pins him. Tony calls it the most amazing move he's ever seen off a cage, and God, they had to have gotten, what, seven, eight replays of this thing, and at some of these angles, boy, it looked like Cody just did a backflip onto this mat. Yeah, yeah. Um, Great-looking finish. Spectacular. I, I, this, this was the time to do it. I, he's done this spot um, at least twice in the past, not in AEW, but you know, this, this is a visual that you will be able to put on, on every highlight reel for dynamite, um, for, for any, you know, for any advertising, any nappy convention convention. This is one of those visuals that I think they'll just tack onto everything. Yeah, definitely. One of AEW's best visual highlights thus far in their run. And I think they, it needed something big to not only help the storyline, but I think to like, um, you know, cement this first cage match as one that was good and very entertaining and memorable. And certainly that that clip will be played for a long, long time, at least. Um, Cody is just such an incredible baby face here. From the moment the lights go up for his entrance, this crowd was ready for him to come out and uh, cheer the loudest for him of, of, the, of anybody on the show. Yet great looking color from him. Um, I, I almost, you know, rarely do I want matches to go any longer than they are these days. But this was a match that I feel like I could have had more of, you know, just to really sell the struggle of this guy beating this like, you know, high level, second to last level boss in Wardlow for Cody. Uh, but a spectacular finish. And I think Wardlow look, looks a little green, but he's very strong, very athletic. And I think he played the role well enough. You know? I, I think he has a lot of upside. I agreed with you. Like he was, you know, this was a big role for him. And he also had... You know, he's been built up as kind of this this big muscle, and it's it's not like this guy has gotten to run through all these people before getting to Cody. So he was in a position here. He was going to lose the match. Cody gave him a lot. Um, they did the crossroads kick out. Like, that tells me they they see a lot of value in this guy. And I, I thought, you know, I, I, I think that there's certainly a lot of room for growth for him, but I thought he he was fine for this role. They've protected him really well, you know, putting him behind MJF, um, making him matter in a lot of his segments, making him, um, I don't know, just somebody to, intimidating simply based on the way he looks, hiding a lot of his shortcomings, which I'm sure, you know, um, there, there are probably a few, but I think it tells you how much of a, how great of a job they've done with him in order to put him into a main event role for his first match. And I think having it come across you know, wonderfully. So they, they did, they've done a great job with him. Yeah. I thought you got a really, you know, this crowd loved this cage match. You got the big moment with, with Cody's uh, moonsaults. And I think, I think the blood, the visual, um, this was, um, you know, I, I think the cage match went off really well. And in terms of, uh, the matches, like that tag title match was outstanding. And I really love that battle Royal. So when you add those two together, I mean, that was almost, uh, you know, almost 40 minutes of wrestling there. That was pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. Plus those... the cage match. So that was, um, I thought this was a strong episode. You had those. Uh, Cobb versus Moxley was 
fun match. Uh, I thought Nyla Rose's promo sounded really good as well. I would say, you know, this was a really good wrestling TV show. The energy of this crowd was great throughout. The quality of the show was high throughout. So I would say Dynamite's in really good shape heading into Revolution. Yeah, and I, I give them credit, too, that this episode, you know, everyone expected Omega and Paige to face the Young Bucks at the pay-per-view. And you got through these two matches where that, to me, was not a hindrance. And the main event, I mean, no, there was not a person in sight that believed Cody was not getting this match with MJF. So all of these, I mean, these were not, I think, outcomes that took a whole lot to be able to figure out. But that did not hinder things at all. Mm-hmm. So tonight's episode on the forum scored an 8.57. That's really good. Dynamite's had a really good run on on the forum. So uh, we will see how how this does uh, viewership-wise tomorrow. But we get into our feedback, and Mark P. writes, Top to bottom, a near flawless two hours of TV wrestling. Flew by, tag team championship match was fantastic, cage match was great, felt like a big show, and really delivered. That's like, you know, 8.57. I mean, this will it'll probably go down later on, but like um some people don't really know this, but Brad the Archivist has like been keeping these like catalogs of all of the show ratings on our forum uh at on the podcast section of forum.postwrestling.com. It's stickied and pinned up top and I mean Dynamite has has really not ranked as high as this if it stays around this this level. So, um you know, they're on a great run right now. We go up next to Kenny. Kenny, who says, I don't know what it was about the show tonight, but after back-to-back great weeks, it just didn't do it for me. The wrestling was fine, and Cody's dive was totally nuts, but I felt like otherwise the show really dragged. Highlights of the show for me were Britt Baker on commentary and Sammy getting his head super kicked out of the arena. AEW does a lot of stuff right, but two things they haven't figured out is how to book a decent battle royal. How the guys weren't even in the ring for most of the match. And how to get a monster over as a monster. After one match, each Cobb and Wardlow both looked like nothing special. Six out of ten. I'll agree to me that... Uh, actually, I'll, I'll disagree. I I thought Britt Baker, like this week, she didn't really stand out to me on commentary at all during that match. Like, not good, not bad, but it was just... Um, I, I didn't really have any takeaway from her on, on commentary. Sammy spot was really great with the super kick. I I thought that was like a really well booked battle royal. Um, you know, battle royals by their very nature are typically not great, and I, I thought this was like a pretty pretty solid one to get to just setting up the contenders for the for the next uh, pay per view, and also setting up. I mean, you did the continuation of the Dark Order stuff with with SCU. You set up the the butcher and the blade with the best friends, the Orange Cassidy spot. That audience went nuts for that as well. Um, there there was a lot in that battle royal, and I thought it it flew by. And I thought they got a decent amount of focus when you have a, a match with ten tag teams. I believe were in there, and I, I thought they got a decent amount of focus on at least half of them. Uh, let's go to Noah from Vaughn. He uh, says, another fantastic episode of Dynamite. All the matches were entertaining, and I thought the return of Darby Allen was just fantastic. Such a huge pop and came off like a star. Nine out of ten show from me. They've done such a great job of building up Revolution, and I'm curious what you guys think of the card, because in my opinion, I think it has been, it has the potential to be a show of the year contender. On paper, it looks like a great lineup. Um, yeah, the updated card is uh, Jericho Moxley, MJF Cody, uh, Omega and Page against the Young Bucks, 
Jake Hager against Dustin Rhodes, and then we have Sammy Guevara against Darby Allen. So of those five matches, I mean, they should be, um, I think that that's, that's the potential to be a, a very good show. Um, and it's, it's really being sold to me on the, I would say the top three matches. Those are your, your big matches on this show that should all, um, all very different in terms of their build, but it's, uh, I, I think that tag match could be just, um, outstanding. I'm very excited by four of the five thus far. And, and, you know, unlike previous AEW pay-per-views, I would say my interest in this one isn't just based on what's on paper, but because of the great storytelling that they've done for all of the programs. I mean, Cody MJF has just been superb. It's been excellent. Uh, I would say the same, like on, on a, on a lesser scale, but still at a very high level is Jericho versus Moxley. Um, John Moxley just feels like such a hot, you know, uh, contender a hot baby face coming coming into this particular pay-per-view and jericho is just at the top of his game fantastic that tag match has been excellent as well and darby allen versus sammy Guevara to me is like um like a great undercard kind of warm-up you know with with two guys that are on the ascent like two guys that could very well be in a main event level a year from now so that's a perfect role for them the you know i would say perhaps the only thing that Right now, that's been announced that I think needs a lot more attention to keep up with the rest of the card is Jake Hager versus Dustin Rhodes. But, I mean, Dustin always gets tremendous reactions. Um, Jake Hager, is this his first match? Has he wrestled yet in AEW? He, I think he's done a tag. Um, this has to be his first singles match. Well, I guess I would say as a first singles match for, match for Jake Hager, it, it doesn't feel that special. You know, he's really kind of taken a backseat to Jeff Cobb in recent weeks. Uh, and I think they could do a better job putting the emphasis on him, making his first debut feel feel like something special. Um, so I don't really feel as much interest for that one. But I mean, that that could also be just a relatively smaller match buried somewhere in the middle of the card. But I do hope like, you know, with a, a week to go, they can do a bit more for that next week. It is his first AEW match. He hasn't done any yet. Yeah. He hasn't had a match. The last match was in August. You know, I just got- don't necessarily feel the hype for it. But, I mean, listen, like, four out of five isn't bad. And it, it can, it, it's probably a match that will get a really good reaction live either way because Dustin, Dustin is so over. He's a, he's a phenomenal baby face. It just gets mm-hmm. these unbelievable reactions. So I think that that match, it's... It's not in the position to be one of the big matches on the card, but I think for what it will be, um, I think they could have a really strong 10, 11 minutes and then Jake Hager wins, but have a really get, big lead up to it with Dustin having, uh, you know, I, I think Dustin, anytime he's in kind of one of these big singles matches, he's going to be out there to, you know, over deliver. So we don't have a women's match on the card yet. I mean, and we talked about perhaps um, Nyla Rose versus Statlander maybe being a little bit too soon for that, but then um, maybe simply because um, of a need for a women's match on this show, maybe they might do the three-way perhaps or I think they should have announced, I think they should have announced that tonight then. Yeah. You know, they don't have to, it could be a number one contenders match between Swole and Statlander. I think that'd actually be pretty good on this show. Then you have another month to build up to the actual title match. And do it on TV. Yeah. TV. Yeah. I think, I think, I think double or nothing is a little too far, but I mean, who knows? 
Andrew from Cape Breton writes, Dynamite is still consistently one of the best wrestling shows going. Sometimes I'll watch NXT the next day, but I still find it a bit boring at times. Tonight was an excellent show held up by an amazing crowd. Great tag match, decent battle royal, and a pretty good main event. I love the look of the steel cage, and based on its size, I wasn't expecting anyone to jump off it so quickly, but I guess I was wrong there. The only flaws are the ones that have been a constant with AEW, sloppiness in some matches and the women's division. I don't know if it's simply more noticeable in AEW, but I noticed a lot of people waiting for spots in the Battle Royal. Of course, the women's division and that awful alien gimmick. Chris Statlander, I think, has a lot of potential, but with her only two years experience and dumb gimmick, they should give her more matches on Dark or hire a veteran wrestler for her to feud with. Hopefully Jeff Cobb and Wardlow get something next week, especially Cobb, who kind of looked like a geek after this match. Awesome show in general with those nitpicks. Eight out of ten. Hmm. Go to Hagaki, who says, Killer main event and great show overall. Side note, AEW Plus definitely seemed different tonight. Less content during commercial time, more general crowd shots, and two instances of the live audience getting a countdown until coming back from break. Yeah, well, we got one of the countdowns. We got back in time, at least in Canada. Raymond from Sacramento. I love Cody. What a guy. I know he's a businessman, an EVP of a new upcoming, up-and-coming wrestling company, but everything he's doing is for the love of his chosen profession. Full-on bleeding on TNT in 2020 and a flip off the top of the cage to win a match. What a guy. Nine out of ten. Dynamite. So this was a, a love letter to Cody from Raymond. Ryan says, when last week's episode was nearly perfect, I wasn't holding out much hope for this week. Years of WWE has taught me to expect weeks of crap following one good segment. But I was surprised this week. It was almost as good as last week. The Lucha Bros versus Omega and Paige was jaw-dropping. But you saw storylines progressing, and you saw color in a cage match, and a moonsault off of the cage. 8.75 out of 10. I do think, and you know, there are some that don't like the, the usage of blood, like that to me was a very clear message for AEW that when they do these cage matches, they're going to be violent and probably you will see blood to make these steel cage matches feel uh, important as opposed to just, um, you know, uh, a match that we do that really doesn't generate a whole lot of interest these days. Like they really went out of their way to make this this cage feel important with the the violence that they they brought to this. Certainly, yeah. I mean, we're at the point now where even, like, Hells in a Cell don't feel crazy. Like, they don't feel threatening to the competitors that are about to to jump into them. Uh, And I think it's all up to, like, how you treat them, how you save them for grudge, uh, uh, you know, situations, and what you do within them to actually, like, you know, showcase damage and to, you know, put that fear in a competitor when they're announced for a cage match. NXT is also, they announced on the show tonight, in two weeks, so March the 4th, they're going to be doing a rematch between Dakota Kai and Tegan Knox in a steel cage. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that kind of explains, I guess, why Tegan Knox won the first one. Um, it's fine. And the idea of this keeps Raquel Gonzalez out of the cage. Right. But I don't know if we're going to be seeing blood or a moonsault off the top. I, I I would hope Tegan Knox would not do a moonsault off the top of a cage. Ooh, yeah, no, either of them with those knees. Yeah, both of them. Nick from Lansing, Michigan writes, AEW continues to bring some of the most exciting and emotional storytelling in their main event scene. Between the bubbling tension among the elite and Cody hurling himself off a cage, they're building up big moments to deliver. 
I wish there was more of a focus on the women's division. One match and one promo segment on a two-hour show continues to not be enough for my taste, especially when one of your lead commentators is going to ask about a character's backstory and laugh at it after getting in a plug for his dick pills. JR has a lot of strengths to bring to this company, but on a live mic, he seems lost and unsure of himself half the time. I get the feeling he's sensitive about his commentary, since you can feel him get defensive about it on the air, but all the more reason to let him do pre-taped interviews where he can shine and build up new talent. Those are his nitpicks from an otherwise excellent show. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a weird fit, you know, um... I don't think JR can really fake his way through like talking about a backstory like Chris Statlander's without coming off disingenuous. So um, I think it, it, you know, is he wrong to question it in this case? I don't really think so. Cause like we've talked about, I think much of the audience is the same uh, reaction that JR does and to simply like ignore it and accept it. Like, you know, everything's fine. I think would be, wrong too so who has to change is it the wrestler or is it the commentator i think that it's it's overall it's just a character to me that has not been introduced well to everybody that not everybody is had a understand like not everybody is going to be following all these people pre aew or watching um stuff online so i think that there's kind of this character they've introduced Jim Ross, you've hired Jim Ross to be Jim Ross. He, I, I don't know if there is a commentator that you're going to find that is going to explain this and it's not going to sound silly in the way it was presented tonight. That, you know, that's that's on the company to, you know, flesh out this character and and explain, is this is this a real alien? Is this what we're going with right now? Like it's, that part has not really been addressed up until this point on, on TV itself. Mm-hmm. Jay from Colorado says, it's so nice to be able to watch two hours of wrestling without having the urge to fast forward. This is how you do a weekly TV show. It's amazing we got such a solid card two weeks before a pay-per-view. AEW spoils us. Nine out of ten. And the last one here, another fantastic show from AEW. No regrets on getting a ticket to Dynamite in Kansas City next week and Revolution. Loved how well booked the Battle Royal was and even... Uh, during the tag match, a couple times, despite the obvious program, a oh, bit on the near falls with the uh, expected outcome. Darby felt like a superstar. Cage match was great as well. Love that it felt so different and dangerous with the extra space around the apron. Also kind of surprised that Cody bled on TV. Cool. Thank you guys for your feedback. All right, everybody. We appreciate all the feedback, which you can leave at forum.postwrestling.com. After each show and... Thursday way, we are going to be back. Yes, that's right. Yes, Cafe Hangout. We got a guest, Kristen Ashley from the website Bell to Bells will be on with us as well, taking your phone calls and talking about everything in pro we can chat about uh We can chat about Chris Statlander. We can talk about tonight's AEW, NXT. Uh, we'll be going through the uh, the ratings uh, when they come out on, on Thursday. Uh, hopefully they're not delayed. Um, so that will be uh, coming out and... Uh, we'll take a look at whatever else. So we are looking forward to your phone calls live 3 p.m. Eastern time for all patrons. Uh, that is the Cafe Hangout. And then uh, many shows to come this week. New British Wrestling Experience on Friday. Rewind to SmackDown on Friday night. And lots more. So go check out postwrestling.com. Once again, tickets on sale Thursday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern time at postwrestling.com slash live for our 
live Q&A show in Tampa on Sunday, April 5th. That's it for us, and we will speak with you on Thursday.